You're listening to More Than This, the podcast where Christian faith and reason explore reasons for Christian faith. Life's not a sequence program from the sky. Life's a story woven up, down, in and out, like stitches in If you enjoy our show, please consider supporting us for as little as $1 a month on Patreon. Check out our site at www.patreon.com forward slash more than this pod. Thank you. For as much as people say that the Bible talks about money and wealth, Christians have very different takes on these topics. From ascetic types who take vows of poverty to pastors asking for private jets, Christians can hold very different views. Add to this the fact that Americans are intensely private about money, and it makes for a very fun discussion. Enjoy. Welcome back, friends. We are talking about um, wealth today. Money, wealth, moolah, dough. Any other words for it, Dave? Making it rain. (laughs) Um, Incidentally, what are the topics that you're not supposed to talk in polite company about? Is it religion, politics, and money? I think that's right. Yeah, I think, I think that's those right. are like the three and sex, maybe. I don't know if sex yeah. is in there too. But anyways, we we talk about all of those. I mean, we haven't talked about money super directly yet. We've hit on all the other ones though quite directly. So here we go, Dave. Giddy up. Woohoo. Yeah. Um, so we're gonna talk about wealth and money and what place that has in has and should have in Christian life. How should we be thinking about wealth and the accumulation of wealth and how we spend our money? Um I don't know, Dave, if you, every time I have a pastor talk about this, they're like, I don't want people to get mad. I know this is a sensitive topic, but we're going to talk about money. And you know what they're usually talking about? They're always getting to the point where they're like, you should be tithing, right? Right. Like, giving, giving to the church. Yes. Yep. Tithing, giving 10% of your income um, to the church. So um, it's something that comes up, but then I feel like they're much, I'm trying to think of sermons I've heard or when people talk about this, the People are comfortable with the giving or the tithing part of it, talking about that part. But I think it's something that people, that pastors don't seem to want to, nobody's going out there and saying, this is the amount of money you should keep for yourself. And this is how much money you have to give away. Like, we don't get into those details. No, we don't. And it's really interesting just on this topic. um, You know, people who talk about keeping it real and being open and authentic, people Asking somebody how much money they make, you don't do it, right? You just don't do it. So you know you're really good friends. Even some of our closest friends have not told us what they earn. Karen and I will tell people what we earn if we feel like, you know, they're, it's not going to create an awkward dynamic in the friendship, like whether it's markedly more or less, because you get a sense. This is just funny, but have you ever, have you ever done this with your husband? Uh, maybe you don't do it explicitly. I think people do it internally, but you kind of have guesses about how much money people make, whether it's more than you or less than you. And sometimes you get obvious cues, like they drive a Porsche and you drive like a Ford Escort. Uh, you're like, you maybe make a little more money than me. Or they have a really nice house or suddenly, you know, you're like, whoa, how did you afford a cruise around the world for like three months? Like, you know, I thought we were just like on the same level. But, you know, even even doing that that sort of, you know, projection and calculation on your own, we still seldom talk about what we earn, like what we, you know, like all that stuff. Yeah, it's like a taboo topic or, or, or just something that's, that's hard to talk about that creates feelings of 
division and jealousy, right? Like money is money's complicated, man. In families, among friends, in churches. But why? You know, I don't know, Dave. So much of it has to do with the status we ascribe to people. I was just going to gonna say that. That's yeah, the word. I guess it has to be. Yeah. And I, and I think, too, um, well, yeah, I think it has to do, well, let's talk a little bit. I got, I got more thoughts, but I, I'm trying to, maybe I'll try to give the lay of the land or, or about. Do it. But I don't even know, if, I don't even know how to do it. So maybe I'm overselling what I'm going to do here. I mean, I think um, the Bible clearly has a lot. I, I went to my trusty helper, Google. <laughs> And Googled verses in the Bible about money. Oh my gosh, I got to come up with a better system for this. Um, there's a lot of them, though. Actually, it was, um, have you, I don't know if you, Sojourners, uh, the organization Sojourners, they publish like a magazine. They're kind of like a more progressive uh, Christian publishing outfit. I remember in college, and I went and found this article, I looked up an article where they did this project. I think back in the 70s, they used to, they went to Trinity Evangelical divinity school a bunch of the people who run sojourners now and i guess one of their i don't want to say parlor trick their bible study tricks was they had a bible where they had cut out all the verses that had to do with money wealth and um, poverty and they were like the bible basically fell apart <laughs> like you the bible i do hear pastors talk about this a lot when they preach on money they're like the bible talks a lot about money i forget how many verses i think it's over 2000 dave do you know if that's right i don't but I think it's like 2,000 verses that deal with the topic of money or resources. It's gotten to the point where this is like a little deep in the, down the, the Christian well here, the Christian cave. But I sort of start to like fall asleep and like be like, really? When people, uh, that's, a, that's a very uh, popular sermon trick where like there are, you know, X amount of references in the Bible to this. So we know it's really important. I think it's probably true, but for some reason that device, that rhetorical device, I'm kind of over it, like counting, like there are 417 verses on this. So we know relative to this, there's only 317 on this. So we know that this is more important or. They like to juxtapose it with hell, right? Like there'll be like, there's only eight verses about hell. There's probably more than eight verses about hell. Yeah. But so some of it probably holds up. If it, if it comes up that a lot, you know, it's something that. Bible has a lot to say about. So I agree with that, but I'm just airing my, my dirty laundry with the fact that I get annoyed when people are like counting verses and like, well, we know this is important. And I'm like, compared to what? Like, I don't know. Right. Fair point. Fair point. Well, here's what I'll, I'll do you one better than that, Dave. I'm going to tell you, I don't even, there's so many verses about um, wealth in the Bible and money. And some of them seem kind of contradictory or like you get Proverbs and Ecclesiastes telling you one thing. Then you get the New Testament given like a different feel on it. Um, I, again, I am not a biblical scholar, um, but I, I feel safe and sane. I don't even want to start to bring up. I feel like it's proof texting. Is that a phrase? Proof texting? That's right. Okay. It's like when you pull, it's like pulling a bunny pull, out like, of a hat. Like, like, like a pull quote or yeah, pulling, just pulling something out to sort of fit, you know, confirmation by a sort of theology. Because I think that you, I, I think you have to read man, this gets into like how I think we should read the Bible and I need to do a better job of it. Reading the Bible sort of as a whole and like the arc of so the story. Go Googling isn't reading the Bible, Kate? <sighs> no, it's not, unfortunately. <laughs> I got I to up my game a little bit. Um, but anyways, so I, I contemplated if we were going to go over wealth, like listing the Bible verses. First of all, there's too many. How would I pick the ones I'm going to mention? Yeah. Right? I mean, I think that there are, I mean, if could we maybe think of like, 
I'm going to give you like my top three that stick out to me where I've heard money mentioned in the Bible. And this is not to be representative for whatever reason. These ones are the ones that stuck out to me. Um, isn't there a verse in the Bible? <laughs> I'm going to use your Bible quizzing stuff again. Isn't there a verse in the Bible that talks about um, like you can't take money with you when you die? Or is that pop culture psychology? That <laughs> I think that might be pop culture. Uh I think of is it the don't store, store your riches up in heaven, right? Or moth, moth and rust d- destroy and thieves break in and steal, you know, and the idea that you can't serve God and money. I think that's the Sermon on the Mount, maybe. Oh yeah, there is that one. I think I just heard a sermon about it recently. So that, but then isn't there the idea that like yeah, you can't um, the idea that we're storing up your treasures in heaven, and you shouldn't be storing up your treasures on earth. Yeah, you'll see that on bumper stickers uh, sometimes for. Christians, if they have a really junky car, like, don't be fooled. My real treasure's in heaven, <laughs> which is kind of funny. I like that. Um, the other one that I hear um, talked about really often is the idea of, um, or not the idea, the parable of the rich man and the camel. So this is the um, parable that says it's easier for a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. This is Jesus talking to a rich man uh, who then sadly walks away and is like, well, I guess this isn't for me, like realizes that he can't give up his money. That's in the New Testament. Um, so anyways, those are the ones that are coming to mind for me right now. Dave, any others for you? Well, was, did you, I'm sorry, I got distracted. There was a siren in our background. Hopefully that didn't come through too loudly, but did you talk about the love of money as the root of all evil? Uh, no, I did not, Dave. That's a pretty solid one. That, yeah, that one. Uh, yeah, where, where is that one? I can't remember if it's I don't know. Uh, the love of money is the root of all evil. And uh, people often say, would conflate it with the love of money is evil. And uh, people be like, no, it's the root of all evil. So, you know, because people would be like, don't, you know, people could use that as like, don't try to amass money. Don't try to amass wealth. It's categorically bad. It's like it has the potential to corrupt, right? But yeah, so that, that's that's another one I heard a lot growing up. Okay, so I'm gonna I'm gonna well maybe I'm going too far afield right away. But I, again, I don't want to give the impression that the Bible doesn't have things. I mean, hopefully you're getting the impression from us or, or from what we're saying. The Bible does say a lot of things about money. It does it's just it's just really hard um, to make a coherent or at least for me, I struggle um, in making like a coherent argument out of them. So instead of trying to do that. <laughs> Um, I think I'm going to step forward. It's interesting, Dave, you were just saying like the amassing of evil, um, or I'm sorry, (laughs) the amassing of evil would be bad. Don't amass evil. Um, but like, you know, accumulating money is bad in and of itself. And I, I think part of what the Bible is getting at, or one of the principles seems to be that like, I don't know, can you get so, can you get so rich is the idea that like you could get so rich that you wouldn't think you need, needed God anymore? Or would you get so rich that you'd be so unhappy that you really needed God? I guess it could go either way, right? I guess. I think sometimes maybe the motivation often is to, you know, I, I think about this, like you want to have save enough money, have enough money so that you're not going to be put into crisis, right? If, if something comes up, you know, if you lose your job or if you get mm-hmm. sick, um, and I don't know that that's a bad thing, but it can blur the lines of your dependence, right? Like where you're, it kind of, it's like the God of the gaps theory, the personalized God of the gaps theory. So God of the gaps is like anywhere in science that you can't explain. People will be like, oh, 
well, it's just God. That's mystery. We can't explain it. And I call it the God of the gaps theory when I'm like, I work so hard to not need God for anything, quote unquote need. And then like where my limit, you know, when I reach my limits, then I'll pray for something. Like it's only worth praying for something that I can't quote unquote make happen. And I think it can kind of play into that where it's like, I want to have enough income and financial security that I can withstand. And we can call that responsibility or whatever. And I don't think it's a bad thing, but it can put you out of touch with your reliance on God. Well, how have you, I mean, maybe we can, again, cause we're not going to, I don't think we're going to give the definitive answer here. This is how, uh, what exactly what the Bible point done. Like, uh, it's just not possible yeah. with the way the Bible is on almost any topic. But I think that lived, ex- this is where I think that like lived experience and seeing sort of what, um, to use another really Christianese phrase, bears the fruit of the spirit or thinking about people whose lives I respect in the way they deal with money and how that plays out is helpful for me. Um, it might be helpful a little bit to talk about like how we grew up thinking about money. Like how did our, you know, in our church and our families, how was money? Dealt with, I can start if you want. Yeah, sure. I would say that's, that's really interesting. <laughs> so my, um, uh, I was lucky enough to grow up, at, my husband points this out to me all the time. He's like, um, you've never really known what it is to really be in want. So like, it's easy for you to be like, oh, be generous. We don't need to sit. Let's do something. I'm not trying to act like I'm the most generous person ever. That's not it. But he just points out that like someone who has never grown up really um, without it's that's a different perspective that you have that colors the way that you think about money and things like that. So I think that I grew up in a really pretty solidly comfortable middle, upper middle class home. My parents were able to, right. It was like money was something. um, My dad is uh, Dave has uh, met my dad. I've talked about him a lot on here. My dad is a business person, pretty savvy with money. And uh, one of those people who's like cheap in weird ways. Like when you go to check into a hotel, my dad will be like, look, I'm going to park across the street because I don't want to pay these hotel parking rates. But he, but he might be in a four-star hotel. It, exactly. That's exactly what it is. And he'll be like, don't let them touch the bag. We don't need to be tipping people to carry. I'm perfectly capable of carrying the bags. Don't let anyone touch the bag. So he leaves me in front of the hotel. Like, Anyways, my dad is like a yeah. thrifty, I guess I would say. He's thrifty about it. It's just a good Midwestern guy yeah, right there. Yeah. Just like I'm like that too. It's the breadbasket of America, Dave. What can we say? Um, salt of the earth people. Anyways, so I guess what I'm trying to say is I grew up honestly not thinking that much about money. And I realized that that was kind of a luxury that I had. I think I've mentioned before, I was really lucky. My parents really helped me um, to go to school. So again, my relation, and then I um, went to grad school and like had a stipend, but I always had a backstop, right? Like if I had had a crisis or something, my parents could have helped me and would help me. And then I, so I, I'm not trying to make my life sound charmed in, in terms of money. It's not, I would not consider myself like wealthy, but I've always been just solidly middle-class. I've had health insurance benefits. So money has been something that's sort of like an it's been, abstract. It's been, it's been there. It's been there. Yeah. And so my, I, I think I've been allowed to think uh, my thoughts about money are based on like you don't you don't have as visceral yeah, a relationship with money where it hasn't gripped you and and made you lay down in fear or distracted your the course of your life as much exactly exactly and I'm not saying and I I think um yeah so I would just leave it there and say that I did, when I heard money talked about it's really interesting Dave I don't know how this was in your like church growing up but like 
the way I hear money talked about growing up and now, I feel like there's like two, there's like extremes within Christianity. There's like the Jesus culture people who are like, you should sell everything. Uh, It's kind of like the liberation theology strand of um, evangelicalism, I I guess I would say, like the preferential preferential option from the poor, living in community, um, like inequality is a huge issue, like that strain. And then you have like, I've always in the churches I've gone to and the institutions, uh, Christian institutions I've belonged to, like really, really wealthy people, like really, really people that are quite wealthy. So I, I guess I've just seen, and, and I think that are also generous, but it's never been like a bad thing. Wealth has never been seen as like accumulating wealth or having like that stability has never been seen as like a bad thing. Well, the, yeah. And there's the sort of like Protestant ethic and spirit yes. of capitalism. Oh, getting a like, little Weber. Uh, yeah, getting a little Max Weber in here. But, you know, there, there are these ideas that uh, the amount of money and material wealth you have reflects uh, mm-hmm. right standing with God and, and right working, working hard. Um, and then during, in certain pockets of the Christian church, you have what's referred to as the prosperity gospel, where this is kind of that on steroids, where the idea is that God intends for all of his children to be wealthy. And you kind of know God's favor by the wealth that your family accrues. And you can kind of measure your stock with God by your bank account and your possessions. And even in some instances, you should have conspicuous consumption to kind of, you know, bearing witness is like having flashy things, right? Like having like really conspicuous, expensive items, large uh, McMansion houses, you know, nice cars. If you're a mega church pastor of this stripe, you might have a private jet and give the glory to God because, you know, God is clearly blessing the church. If you can afford a Gulfstream G6 or whatever the private jet of the day that's really popular is, you know, there were some news stories the other year, Kate broke of, of prosperity gospel pastors who were trying to raise $60 million or something to get a new private jet to do quote unquote ministry. Uh, they, they needed it for their ministry. And, you know, other others of us in parts of the church, I mean, we'll just fully admit we don't, I will, I will say that I think that the prosperity gospel has done pretty horrendous things uh, to people in and outside of the church, and most people don't measure up to it. And it's often the pastors who are capitalizing on the generosity of their church because you're also supposed to give as if you have a lot of money uh, in a lot of those settings. So it's just also just a very different view on wealth. Mm-hmm. but also is proof texted from parts of scripture. Getting, yeah. yeah. So, I mean, people have used scripture selectively to underwrite that idea as well. So it's interesting. I don't think that fits in with the tenor of God across scripture as much, but. But it's the it's, danger of proof texting. It is. It's there. Yeah, it is there. Well, how about you, Dave? I mean, I, that's helpful. I should have put that in the beginning prosperity gospel and I would, uh, agree with you, Dave, that that is something that I find pretty, uh, can I say, is revolting too strong of a word or pretty, pretty damaging, damaging. I think it's been quite damaging. Yeah. Um, And not something that I would ascribe to at all. Like, how did you growing up, like, was money something you guys talked about? So we grew up um, probably in hindsight, uh, middle, middle class or lower middle class. Um, my dad was the sole breadwinner for a while until... My brother, my brother and I were in school, and my mom went back to work. Uh, they both worked. They were state government employees. Um, 
I don't, we weren't financially as well off as you guys were, but, and my dad was chronically worried about money. Um, my dad was also a workaholic. So he worked every Saturday for most of my, most of my life, uh, had a flea market stand where he sold baseball cards and memorabilia. So he worked five days a week at his salary job. And then he had a side business and then would also sell cards, you know, baseball cards and memorabilia out of the house, uh, during the week and the evenings as well on occasion. Um, and my mom worked, you know, my mom was an executive assistant. So, you know, a professional job, but not super well earning. And my dad was an epidemiologist. So I don't think we were poor, but you know, we, my brother and I still to this day, will just have, we have a shorthand, like when we're a little lean financially, you know, my dad would always say, we're all going to have to tighten the belt around here. <laughs> so that was, we didn't, we had a lot of holes in our belts cause they got pretty tight. Um, you know, so dad would just sort of sit us down or make an offhand comment, you know, we got to tighten the belt around here. And, you know, money was, uh, credit was also something that was, uh, that's another thing that's probably worth Christians have a very sort of literal view on debt in some ways. Like there's, uh, Dave Ramsey, Financial oh, Peace University. People uh, love them some Dave Ramsey. This has become the, the sort of de facto Christian approach to, uh, handling finances and wealth is that you should have zero debt. And the funny thing is wealthy people will tell you my you know, we have friends who are multimillionaires who use debt very strategically all the time and debt can help you win and get ahead too. Uh, the, you know, the, the whole thing is like not being a slave to things and things like that. And we would always hear, you know, I remember, you know, Karen and I have student loans, uh, cause we, you know, we felt God called us to a fair amount of education. And if you wait till you're 60 to be able to afford all that necessarily and save money on your own working a low paying job, you know, we earn a lot more than we probably could have without it. So it's interesting. So there's also that school of thought, you know, where debt is evil because it, it constrains you. And you know what? In some ways it does, you yeah. know, but it also helps you earn more. It's a very simplistic view. So I know that's a very popular view in Christian culture as well, that like debt is systematically evil. I was raised with that. So my parents paid for everything in cash. We didn't have a credit card um, until. I was 13. I think my dad and mom got stuck in Baltimore. Their car broke down and they had no way of paying for the repair because they couldn't, they didn't have a check or they wouldn't take an out of state check and they couldn't get cash. This was before ATMs. So they finally got a credit card because they're like, we can't get stuck like that again. That's ridiculous. Of course they paid it off instantly and that's fine. I'm not, I'm not here arguing for especially revolving credit card debt. I don't think that's a, a, a good way to go. Uh, as a strategy, but you know, we're Karen and I are, you know, probably going to fly to England on credit card points maybe this year. You know what I mean? Like we might take a vacation, like you can use stuff pretty well. It's not dead. If you pay it off, like credit can be a, a wonderful thing. Um, so, so it kind of evolved. It sounds like you kind of grew yep. up with some pretty strict ideas about very strict. And also what that's it, a recurring theme, Dave. <laughs> What's that? Your upbringing. Oh, there yeah. were some pretty defined. Mine was a little looser. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Um, and, but also could be regarding money because you always have it. You know, this, I won't get, I won't name names, but I know people who have married, uh, just like you said, your husband 
might have a different view of money sometimes. Like this is something that people don't talk about compatibility wise when they get married. Oh, and they should. As a view of money, you know, and just a, a stress point, you know, and if you've, you're comfortable, you like, I remember someone, one of my friends got married and his wife was just like, had come from, you know, her father was a, a high powered attorney, probably made 600K a year easy. And something would break and she's like, well, just call someone, call someone to fix it. Like we need to get that fixed. And husband was like, we don't have money to get it fixed. Do you know what it costs to get things fixed? She was just so instinctively like, oh, somebody will handle that. She wasn't trying to act entitled. It was just like what she did in her world, right? Her dad didn't know how to fix anything. But it was like, okay, no, you just call somebody. Mm. And, you know, the, my friend was like, no, we don't have money to do that, you know? I remember I had a college professor. His name was Bud Kelstead. He was awesome. Um, Lyman Kelstead. Lyman Kelstead, one of the Gang of Four. Um, gang of Four. It's a, it's a political science uh, group of four uh, Christian political scientists. Yeah, study religion and politics. But um, he used to always say, he also wore like plaid pants and suspenders, which was really fun. Um, but he would say, he told us, like, I mean, he must have told us this, like 15 times. He'd be like, so many of you are going to get married to each other. I know it. He's like, please talk about money. If you learn one thing in my class, talk to each other about money and how you think you should spend it before you get married. But that was like one, he's like, that's the best pre-marriage advice I can give you. Um, and I think it is wise. Yeah, we're, Karen and I are pretty compatible and came from similar backgrounds where, you know, um, she has single, single parent home and that also can have huge impact yeah. financially. Uh, but I would say growing up, we, we just always were, we couldn't tell we weren't allowed the luxury of thinking we had comfort that we were comfortable. Like we just never, my dad always acted like we were completely broke. So, uh, to the point, this is hilarious. This, I thought, you know, my parents never would have divorced. They didn't believe in it, but we took a family vacation one time and my dad brought just a steno notebook, just a normal notebook along and wrote down every last nickel that we spent. And it wasn't clear what the objective was, only that he had some game in his mind about, like, in tracking it, just he wanted this to be as cheap as possible. And I remember it was, like, 11 p.m. We'd been driving all day, and we were going to stop at a hotel. And he stopped at one, and we were in the middle of nowhere, and it was $10 more than he wanted to spend. And he was like, I'm not spending that. And this was before the internet. We had no idea what the next hotel would be or what it would cost. We had no way of knowing. Yeah. So we just started driving. It's like 1 a.m. And my dad's still looking to save 10 bucks. And my mom is about ready to murder him. And <laughs> uh, just, I remember, I remember thinking, I don't want to be that way mm-hmm. growing up. Like when I'm, when I'm older, I want to be responsible, but... I don't want it. Money, money shouldn't have that power. Like if you mm-hmm. can't take a vacation, don't take a vacation. Yeah. Like you need to know what it costs. Like, and I, and I think about that still, cause I do that sometimes where I'm like, if I commit to something and I haven't counted the cost yet, it puts me in that position. But I've, that's one of the things I try to avoid is like, I don't want to commit to something if we can't do it well or pay for it. People who want to go out to eat at a sit down restaurant, yes, but can't afford to tip. Don't do it. Go somewhere where you don't have to tip. Like that's just really crappy to do, right? Things like that. So 
Well, I think, I mean, again, I don't want to paint the picture. I, I did have like a different upbringing. I mean, my husband would probably argue that I should think, I mean, it sounds like you and Kara are pretty copacetic. Um, I don't want to go too far in depth, but I think, I mean, more or less, I think my husband and I have gotten to a point where, again, because of where we're at in our careers, it, we have more flexibility and things aren't, as, and we don't have to worry as much. We probably do have um, slightly different attitudes about money and spend, and spending. However, one thing, and this is where I maybe in, in getting back into thinking about like what should, I mean, this is what we were, this is what we were grew up with. This is like the bag or for whatever it's worth. This is how we got formed. And I often think, how do I want to teach my kids? Sorry, I come back to this refrain a lot. Like, well, what do I want to teach my kids about money? And what is it that I think they should be doing with money? I was looking up some stats about how Christians spend money or how like just some different um Statistics, Dave. I'm I'm a I'm a hobby. I like I don't like to do statistics, but I like to read them. Right, like I like to look up facts and figures, but not calculate them myself. Um, so I was looking up about Christians and generosity in the United States, and they were saying that out of the research I did, said that um, compared to other groups, that people who are religious and particularly evangelical Christians, most of those religious people are the most likely to give to charity. Right. Um, but it's still not that much. Like the percentage that's given is like, like three under three percent. Yeah. Right? Really pretty low. Yeah. Like but, but five, the, the average American is like one or two percent, maybe tops. Exactly. So compared to other, but then, yeah, compared to people who are, I would say, not that generous, evangelicals are like more, gener- more generous. And that evangelicals also, um, part of their generosity, they count charitable giving is to their church. And evangelicals are, um, what are their percentages? Uh, I think that something like 20% of evangelicals, or maybe it's 30, but it's not as high as you would think, tithe regularly. Like it's not, that's the giving of 10%. Yeah. I, I was kind of surprised by how low that number was, to be honest. I thought that it was maybe going to be somewhat higher. Um, but then just some other things about, about money and what brings happiness. Um, we were talking about this a little bit before that there's sort of, when you think about income, there's a, um, like a, like a cliff, like you kind of, if you don't have a lot of money, um, like if I've heard it explained to me this way, if you're like, you know, don't have a stable home to live in and don't have any, um, any type of security or healthcare money, more money is going to make you exponentially happier, right? Like you're going to climb up and up and up until you get to around the income levels around $70,000. And then at that point, um, your happiness actually starts to trail off. Like more money doesn't bring you more happiness. It starts to actually make you less happy at, at some point it fled flat lines for a long time right right um but the idea i guess the the lesson there is that and this this study has been repeated in a bunch of different like in um not just in the united states but in western europe as well like they've done a, a bunch of research on um happiness and money and more yeah. money doesn't make more money doesn't right. keep making you more happy that's that's the underlying the number will move across inflation yeah. and across societies but there there does there gets to be a point where there's diminishing returns and then kind of a flat line and yeah negative like it can and i i'm always interested in that negative you know and i'm, I'm always like well i'd like to be, you know jokingly i'd like to be the one that tries to be the exception to this <laughs> like you know well there's another principle i'm just going to lay out one more principle and then talk more about what we think Christianity has to say or what we sh- what our attitude towards money should be. Um, it's called the hedonic treadmill. And the idea is that when part of the reason that your happiness tapers off as you make more money is you just adjust to that level and start comparing yourself to people who make more money. So you just kind of get on this treadmill where you just 
can never have enough, right? Like you can just never, you're never satisfied. Um, and you're always comparing yourself. There's a quote uh, that I was reading to Dave too, um, that uh, the happy man is one who earns $100 more than his wife's sister's husband. Uh, so if you're earning more than your brother-in-law, you're feeling pretty good. But again, it's that comparison principle that by nature, I think that we tend, that's the hedonic um, treadmill as well, that we compare ourselves yeah. to others. And, and that comparison, oh, I love that. I don't know who, where the quote is from, but it's comparison is the thief of joy. Isn't it's, that good? It's ascribed to Theodore Roosevelt. Is I don't it? know if it's apocryphal. I don't know if it's really him or not. But the concept I really yeah, like, I right? The comparison is the thief of joy. So we know all of this um, about money, that there's diminishing returns. We know that the Bible, I mean, it's, you know, has a lot to say about money and it can be used to make different arguments um, about what we should do with money. So Here's my pun for the Dave, pun for the day, Dave, the $64,000 question. I've been waiting to pull that one out. Um, how should Christians think about money and wealth? Like, how, where have you come to on this issue in thinking about money and wealth and wealth accumulation? Uh, where have you landed or do you think that you should, what's your aspirational goal there, right? Like, how should we be thinking about money? Well, I, th- I think that... Uh, there's a tendency for people who are comfortable to kind of romanticize poverty. Yes. Uh, and that is not a good response. You know, it's like, oh, money, money is not the most important thing. It's easy to say if you don't have a lot of, if you have a lot of money or you're fairly comfortable. Um, I, I do think about this a lot and, you know, as you know, I'm in my forties and, uh, didn't really get into my career track until I was in my mid thirties. So in terms of conventional markers, I'm a little bit behind in terms of things like retirement. So I, you know, think a lot about stuff like that, I guess. Like, I, you know, I think, but ultimately the role of money, you know, I've thought about this recently with looking, you know, work and I do consulting and, you know, I was a professor for a while um, and, the money kind of comes, the money kind of goes, you know what I mean? Like, and the money goes out pretty, pretty well. And, you know, I'm like, "Mm, there it goes. Uh, A lot of you can relate to that. So you have it in your account and you're like, okay, there's less of it now. You know, it was nice while it lasted. Even if you're planning well, I think getting ahead and one of the things that Karen and I have done is really sit down and lay out our values. And like, what do we think is most important? And then how are we spending our money? Um, Do they line up? And what adjustments do we need to make? Not that those adjustments are easy to make. And what do our, it's always painful, but what does our money tell us about our values? You know, how we spend our money. Um, And I think that's that's just honestly a good starting point. You know, so uh, Kara and I, for example, this isn't money per se, but this is how we decided to move back to Columbus. So we live in Columbus, Ohio. We formerly lived outside Chicago, which was a lot closer to Kate and her family. So that was sad to move away. But we said, you know, people and family, we claim are a really high value, but we hardly ever see our family. And most of our friends live in Columbus, Ohio, and we're never there. And even though we were only four, four and a half hours away, we still didn't see them any more than when we lived on the West Coast. And we're like, okay, if we say this is important, why why would we stay here mm-hmm. long term? And, you know, 
I think that's, that's in terms of wealth, I think of what you value, you know, like people will say, you know, debate whether the value is money itself, but money is valuable. It's just what values that value goes toward, you know? So, you know, if you have a cause that you want to support, or you really believe in your children's education, or you feel called to give sacrificially to support something in your church or your community, that's all good. But sometimes uh, you have to you have to start you know, and I think when you get to the point where you you literally can't cut expenses, that's when can, when it can get frustrating, and you you know have have to have conversations. And it is amazing how little you can live on if you really try. Mm. And I'll be the first to say that comfort is one of my highest values. Like I love to go out and have a nice meal. I like to know that. I can get a little cup of chai on the way home, you know, from podcasting today and things like that. And I have, I have to confess that that's a value for me. Um, I remember one of the things I've reacted to, and that was one of my friends who I will not name back. It's not me? No. Okay. This was, this was back in 2002. Um, so I think $2,002. Uh, this guy and his wife had bought a $400,000 house in Columbus, Ohio, which is a lot of money back then. Yeah. It's probably like 600, 650 now uh, in that real estate market. <clears throat> and they were in the early 20s and he was doing pretty well financially at the time. And I remember we were out jogging and I was probably working at Star- Starbucks oh, or okay. Nationwide, probably, probably Nationwide, you know, making a, l- a lot lower wage. You know, I couldn't afford any house probably. And he looked at me and he said, you know, I was like, do you really need like a $400,000 house? Like I just couldn't understand. There's just two of them. And he goes, well, when you start making real money, you'll, you'll understand. Like that was the principle. You know, the principle was a lot of it goes down to what you can afford and the value conversation cuts across that. Like, you know, one of my friends would get on me because I would go to Starbucks and he's like, you can't afford it. You know, like nobody should pay that much for a drink, right? Like the idea is you can get rigid and be like, nobody should pay $600,000 for a house. And that was kind of my view back then. You know, nobody should do that. And his, his, my friend's view at that time about the house was, no, if you, if you make enough money, it's okay to do. I don't know as Christians if I feel quite comfortable with that. I can't quite name the dollar amount, but I still think the principle is in play that we don't get to just underwrite what we spend on and how much we spend based on what we earn. Mm. Um, Because it does seem like there is some call to, to care for the community around us. And if all of your resources are committed to things that you don't need, but just want, um, I mean, Karen, I talk about this now, our house we have is too big for us. And we're, you know, it's like, well, we don't need the space and we don't need to be paying this mortgage necessarily. We could be happy with less. So, but some of the, our friends we've talked to, because we might sell our home, you know, if, if seems like a good idea in the, you know, next year, some of our friends are like, why would you do that? Like, why on earth? Like, it just doesn't make sense. But to us, that's what it comes down to. I know I'm talking a lot, but that, this no, is, this is the crux for me is just that. It's hard because there's no, like you said, you can't be like, you may spend. This is why it's so uncomfortable because there's different stories. I mean, I think that there are a couple principles that are we can live by. Like, we're, I think the Bible 
it would be hard to read the Bible and not come away thinking that you're supposed to be generous. And actually, the science bear, just as an aside, like science bears out that you get like much more long term pleasure from being generous and from accumulating things, right? Like the science of generosity, like they've done a lot of research around this. I think they're doing it, I think it's at Berkeley now, it's the Generosity Project or something like that, but they're studying this. Um, Bunch of hippies. Yeah. Just kidding. <laughs> but I think also, too, and I think that, again, um, because of my work, it takes me to different places around the world that have extremely different. Um, GDPs or, you know, uh, uh, income levels for people who are living. So I am, I think that's also helpful for me to be confronted with that regularly and think like, oh my gosh, this is the reality. You can get kind of insulated from that. I mean, I mean, there is poverty in the US. I'm not saying that at all, but nowhere to where you live, you can have a community where you kind of insulate yourself from the realities other people are going through. And I think it's important to make your, to live in such a way that you are you are faced with different realities of people um, who are living with much less, who are living in, in poverty. Because I think that also kind of, hopefully that changes the way you think about money and wealth yeah. and generosity too. Right. I think this is getting to a really good point as Christians is what is your, what is your, your attitude toward money and your acquisition of money and wealth fostering you? Does it make you more afraid? Does it make you feel more yeah. distant from people? And is part of your motivation to, now, I'm not villainizing per se, but, you know, live in a gated community, like metaphorically or literally, where you kind of like, you know, shut down a lot of the world around you and shut off things that yeah. you don't want to witness or groups that you are uncomfortable around. Um, is that what your money and, and the spending of it is fostering in you? And for, and I, um, I've also, also thought too about money. We live in a Oh, the places that we lived in Chicago, we happen, it, it's kind of in neighborhoods that are sort of in flux. So we have a variety of, of income levels, I would say, within, within our um, neighborhoods. And I've often thought about consumption. And I've thought about this in terms of like the car that we drive or the house we live in. Does this separate me from people? Is, is this level of what the car I'm going to drive or the clothes I'm going to wear or these, does that separate me or bring me closer to the people who I really want to be interacting with. Because I think that, that that's one of the reasons we don't talk about money is because of jealousy and status. So I'm not saying that you should be like, oh, I'm not going to do this nice thing or I'm not going to um, do this because someone else might be jealous. But I do think about, am I putting distance between myself and people with these purchases? I don't know if that makes yeah. sense. I, I heard a really interesting interview with the woman who founded Stacy's Pita Chips. You know those Pita Chips that you... Oh, yeah. Stacy's Pita mm -hmm. Chips? Delicious. Well, it was a whole story about um, on NPR. Uh, shocker. I was listening to NPR. And um, she talked about basically how she went from not having very much to like having this extremely successful business in a really short order of, order of time. And she had twin daughters who were young. And so she bought her first home in this like community in Boston, like a gated community. And she said she realized after like a year, she's like, I don't want my daughters to grow up like this. This is not how I grew up. She's like, we don't see our neighbors. We don't interact with any people. My kids don't ride their bikes. So she said she like sold the house and moved into a much less expensive home where she's like, I know my neighbors. I see them. My kids ride their bikes, you know, around the neighbor and have neighborhood friends. She's like, I did not want. I thought that was kind of profound and interesting for her to just say, no, I don't want my kids to have that isolated life. Yeah, I think that's really, really funny. Uh, that's, a, that's a really good way of saying it and a really good way of looking at it. I was reminded of, uh, of when I used to work at Starbucks. Um, I, this, I had a customer who, she came in every day and got this 
massively fattening, expensive frappuccino. It was like a venti. It was like literally about 1,200 calories every time she drank it. And she would come in and she would every day would be like, you know what? I need a treat. I need to treat myself. And I was like, it's not a treat if you do it every day. Mm. Right? Like a lot of times we think, oh, the, the money we're spending is kind of exceptional or we deserve it or, you know, and just as another principle, check if something really is something you deserve. Like, what do you feel like you deserve in life? Because money is like definitely a referendum on that. Wait till the money runs dry and you'll see what you think you deserve come out pretty screaming when you can't pay for it anymore. Mm. And really, is this a pattern of spending? And, you know, is this really a treat anymore? Because you have psychological tricks. Be like, oh, it's a treat. We'll go on vacation or I'll shop online or we'll go out to an expensive dinner or whatever. Name your thing. It adds up. You know, so uh, I think there's also psychological tricks and things we lie to ourselves about to sort of mask the need behind what we're spending or mask the desire behind what we're spending. I don't know why I always think of that woman saying she's treating herself and she wanted me to play along and I just wouldn't do it. Was that a Starbucks that you liked working at or no? It was, yeah. That was my first one. Oh, okay. Second one. <laughs> well, you know, we haven't actually, I, I don't know, have we answered the $64,000 question? I'm not sure. But I think that we came to some principles. I mean, that's that's another thing that's really tricky about the Bible and Christianity is that we get principles, but we don't get the memo on how to directly apply them to our life. Like, that's sort of up to us. Yeah. And And that's what makes it tricky. Wouldn't it be easier if the Bible was like, your home should only ever be, I'm sure Dave Ramsey has a formula that people follow, your home can only cost... 20% of your overall income or, or, and you should spend this much on food, right? But the Bible doesn't break it down that way. Like the Bible is giving us it's some- a, It's a wisdom thing. Yes, yes. exactly. And I think that it, those principles of wisdom, like, again, I think it's interesting when like sometimes social science bears some of that out. Like, I think it's pretty interesting that like the return on investment to use the language or the, the happiness that you get um, from being generous has like, wow, that's like significant and deep. Like the Bible, like, that makes sense, right? That being generous would bring you like some pretty deep, deep joy. Like social science bears that out. And the Bible kind of makes that principle pretty clear too, that living generously is something that Christians are supposed to do. It's going to look different. You know, the amounts are going to look different for, for different people. And also the idea that like, yeah, money is, you need money, but it's not going to make you, that's not going to make you happier and happier and happier. It's not like you're just going to keep going up and up again, just right. the, the research showing that there's that hedonic treadmill or the, um, the idea that there's that curve with with money that you can't just keep making more money, expect your happiness to go up exponentially. So I take a little bit of comfort, I guess, and a little bit of that in thinking, okay, to your point, Dave, like how do I apply those principles? Like what would it mean to live generously? What would it mean to take a good look at what I'm valuing? Like where's my money going? Like uh, where your money is, that's where your heart is. Is that a phrase? Yeah, where your money is. Oh, where, your treasure, your money- where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Okay, that's not a Bible verse though, right, Dave? It is. Oh, it is? Do you like how I thought that was like pop theology, pop psychology? You're like, no, no, that's in the Bible, but that's a good, that kind of gets to your question about the values of you and Kara saying, what do we value? Like, what are the things that are important to us? And does that line up with what the Bible or what Christ, you know, what we're supposed to value in the Christian life? Or what we purport to value even, yeah. you know, yeah. even that test. I think a stretch for this would be, for me and for other people, 
nobody will take me up on this, but I would challenge you to find a set of friends that you're comfortable enough with to talk about money. Not necessarily just have a, a reveal about how much you make or something like that, but I, I just, there's just part of me that thinks this we should demystify and desacralize. Like we, this shouldn't be so sacred and, and secretive that we should talk about money more with our friends and our communities. Cause you know, it's not just about pulling individual wealth. Like, you know, I don't know what that conversation looks like, but I think we should be, it would be a stretch for me and for other people to talk somewhat about money with friends and not just to like, Oh man, money sucks, right? Like, Oh yeah. Tell me about it. That's good too. But like constructively and sort of like taking away some of the shroud of mystery around earning and income and where do people spend money, right? What do you spend money on? What are your struggles with money? Like, where do you, you know, whatever. I don't know. That's my stretch. I think my stretch might be to just sort of do that inventory a little bit and like think about sometimes I've got so many things in my life that are like set. Like I pay this much for like my kid's school or my child's daycare. I pay this much for the mortgage. I pay, you know, there's some things that are just set, but I think it would be interesting to figure out. Sometimes I'm like a little mystified. I'm like, Oh, what, what happened? (laughs) Where is like, just to be more intentional, I guess. Right. Like I've got my set giving my set, like, things that I've systems I've set in place, but then there's like a lot of money that's like sort of floating there. And I think it would be good for me to do an inventory of like exactly what I'm doing with that. Hmm. So yeah, sounds good. There you go. Um, that'll be real fun. Dave, let's want to go to, uh, 1200. Treat yourself, Dave. Treat myself. Treat treat yourself. I know. I no longer use, I never use that as legitimacy for me going to Starbucks. So, okay. Well, sorry to, sorry. I'll use it though. Now I'm going to add it into my vernacular. Very good. good. Thanks, guys, for being with us. Life's not a sequence program from the sky. Life's a story.